Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Octavia Ramirez. Octavia is a personal finance and entrepreneurship writer from Toronto. She's also the founder and CEO of Paper and Coin, a financial literacy and coaching company for millennials, and co-hosts a weekly podcast with her husband called about that life. In my interview with Octavia, we discuss buying a home with consumer debt, saving up an emergency fund, and prioritizing your mortgage payments. Without further ado, here's my interview with Octavia Ramirez. Hi Octavia, how are you doing today? Hi Sean, how are you? I'm pretty good, thanks. Looking forward to a very interesting discussion on money and real estate. Yes, likewise. Great, so let's get started. You recently quit your full-time job and became a full-time entrepreneur. How are you enjoying your new career as a money coach? You know what? I'm loving it, I have to say. Uh, It's been really refreshing to kind of have that flexibility in my schedule. Of course, as you know, with the flexibility comes a lot of responsibility as well. So even though I'm no longer working, you know, my nine to five job, I'm often working longer hours into the night sometimes, sometimes on the weekends, but it's just been, it's been a really rewarding journey so far. And I'm curious, how did you get into money coaching? What inspired you to do that? Yeah, actually, really a lot of it was inspired by by my own personal financial journey. About five years ago, I want to say, I just kind of hit this wall, essentially, when it came to my personal finances and my career. I was just kind of living paycheck to paycheck. And I was in this vicious cycle of getting paid on a Friday and then being broke again by Monday because most of my money was going to paying back my credit card. And so I just was really frustrated with constantly going back and forth. And I just decided enough was enough. So I actually ended up your, your listeners are going to be shocked by this, but I actually ended up cutting out my credit card uh, and kind of just starting on this journey of figuring out how to budget, how to invest, how to save, how to prioritize my spending, and just things like that. So really, my personal journey really inspired, I think, a lot of other people and wanted to, they wanted to know, you know, what I was up to and how I was able to kind of get myself debt free and really experiencing a lot of like freedom in that area. And so that really led me to kind of personally coaching people and helping them out with their personal finances, which eventually led to kind of structuring that whole process in a little bit more detail and eventually led to me starting my company called Paper and Coin, which is a financial coaching company for millennials. Great. I'm just curious, do you ever suffer from fear of missing out? Because with all the social media and Instagram, it seems like people have so much pressure to spend. How have you stayed away from that pressure? Yeah, I mean, social media is definitely a doozy when it comes to trying not to compare yourself or or see what other people are doing with their life and their spending. Honestly, I just put really like boundaries in place 
when it comes to even just my mental my mental health and the way I see things. So I often ask myself very challenging questions like, okay, what I'm seeing on Instagram right now, is this the whole picture? And that's often not the case, right? So if we see an individual who just bought a house and they're in their mid 20s, let's say, and we kind of know that maybe they're not earning that much and you wonder how did they do it? You know, there's just a plethora of ways that people might have done it, whether good or bad. And so I think trying to stay away from that like comparison trap has been really important just for my own well-being and also just maintaining focus on my own personal financial journey. And I really, and that's what I recommend to my clients as well is, is really making sure you're keeping the right perspective when it comes to social media and not thinking that everything is, is as it appears to be. And that's a perfect segue into our next question. Is it okay to buy a home if you have consumer debt? And a lot of people do because people are graduating later from college and university. So is it okay to go out and buy that property when you still have that student debt or, and perhaps a car loan as well? Yeah, and this is a really tough question, I think, right? Because it kind of puts perspective and sheds light on people's priorities. I'm going to go on a limb here and, and actually be a little bit more extreme. And I say, don't. Don't buy a house until you've prioritized paying off your consumer debt. You already have a mortgage. I think that's fine. But if you're trying to be a first-time home buyer, and let's say you have fifty to sixty thousand dollars of household student loans, and then another couple thousand in credit cards, and maybe a car loan, that's a lot of debt burden to be bringing in addition to having a mortgage at that point, which is now hundreds of thousands of dollars in in debt essentially. So. I always recommend to my clients that before you consider taking on this huge purchase and this huge burden of a mortgage, really, really do the hard work of getting yourself to a point where you're in the black. I know that that's really challenging for a lot of households in Canada, given the fact that the average student debt is now at just around sitting around $26,000 a year. And, you know, if you have two individuals with that, that can be a lot of money to try to pay off, but it's not impossible. And I think in the long run, if you take care of that before you move into paying off a mortgage or paying into a mortgage, you're going to be so much better off in the long run. So I highly recommend take care of that first before you move into homeownership. Definitely. And I think it really boils down to the individual and how disciplined they are as well. Speaking from somebody who just recently became a licensed mortgage broker, it also sometimes helps to actually call up a mortgage broker and just kind of see where you're at in terms of your finances. Because then, for example, let's say you speak with a mortgage broker, find out you can only spend $200,000 on a property and you're trying to buy in Toronto, then that's not really going to work because you have all this debt then at least you can come up with a game plan to get the debt paid off. And then perhaps a year or a year and a half down the road, when your finances are in order, then you can go and buy the property. So that's kind of my perspective on it. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're absolutely right. You don't want to go into a house and find yourself house poor, right? And like, I think a lot of people then end up blaming their house for not having enough margin in their lifestyle and in their budget to maybe go on a trip or, you know, buy maybe an extravagant gift or something like that. But the problem wasn't necessarily the house. It was jumping into something your income couldn't afford at the time. And so I think, yeah, like you said, 
you really want to make sure you're consulting a professional to see like, what are your options? You know, is maybe a house or a condo in Toronto isn't necessarily the best decision for you. Maybe that means going a little bit outside of the GTA or outside into one of the suburban areas to be able to purchase a home and still be comfortable within your budget and still be making all your obligations as far as your payments and debt are concerned. But this is why I really say is if however much you can take care of before you move into a home, I think you'll be better off um, and have a better purchasing power as well moving into the market. Definitely. Now, the toughest part of going from being a renter to a homeowner is coming up with the down payment. Mm -hmm. What recommendations do you have to save a down payment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, it really does boil down to creating a budget that's going to work for you and your lifestyle and really sticking to it, of course, right? That's that's really the nuts and bolts of it is you can write it down, but if you don't, at the end of the day, stick to it, it's basically just a piece of paper, right? So really creating a budget of what is your income that you're bringing home? What are your expenses, your fixed and your variable expenses? And then try to find where you can create a little bit more margin, whether that means increasing your income, perhaps taking on a side hustle, or maybe cutting down on some of your expenses. I think the biggest thing that Canadians are probably wasting money on is eating out, right? And and to be honest, that's personally my area that I end up, you know, spending more than I need to. But that's definitely one area you can quickly save a lot of money just even on your budget. I think another way you can do that is really tapping into your RRSP in the first time home buyers plan. So with that plan, you can take up to twenty five thousand dollars out of your RRSP and move that into your first home purchase. And that's actually a really great program because you don't get any penalties or any taxes on that if you're using it to buy your first home. Once you're able to have that 25, you can then use some of the savings that you've potentially put into a TFSA. So the tax-free savings account. This is where you have up to, at this point now, it's about $57,500 of a cumulative total that you can save up in there with an cap of about 5,500 a year. So that's another great avenue that you can use to save and invest, especially for the longer term. And then when it comes down to, you know, actually taking a down payment towards a house, those are two different really great areas where you can save. But yeah, it really starts with the budget and then using tools like the RRSP and the TFSA to grow your money until you're ready to use it. And I also find that paying yourself first works as well, because Mm -hmm. if you're just basically saving whatever money is left over at the end of the month, then guess what? There's going to be no money left over. So what personally worked well for me was figuring out, you know, I want to have a certain down payment, let's say a $50,000 down payment in two years time. Well, how much money do I actually have to save from each paycheck? And then basically setting up that money to automatically go into a savings account That way I'm treating savings as a priority instead of the last priority. And as long as I'm disciplined and I don't go over budget and withdraw money from my savings account, then I should be able to reach my savings goal. So that's personally worked for myself. Yeah, I think that's a great strategy. And and to be honest, a lot of that really comes with having that margin to work with in the beginning, right? So I think a lot of people, because they're so burdened by like their student loan payments, their car payments, credit cards, um, different plans and subscriptions or whatever their expenses are, they're spread so thin that finding that margin is really difficult. So when it comes to saving for a down payment, yes, although that's a priority in their mind and in their heart, it's not a priority when it comes to their finances. And so 
this is why I say is try as much as possible to try to create that margin by paying off debt first, because then you can save a lot more aggressively and quickly. You can put that down payment together in, a, you know, hopefully a couple years or so. So yeah, I think really looking at your numbers and seeing, okay, what is my goal? Do I want to save $50,000 in the next two to three years? And then moving backwards and saying, okay, that means let's say I wanted in two years, I'm gonna have to save 25,000 a year. How can I do that month by month? So break your year down into months. And that's where your budget really comes in handy for that. Definitely. Now, speaking of spreading yourself thin, how much of an emergency fund do you recommend having? Now, personal finance experts say three to six months living expenses, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of a general answer. What do you recommend to your money coaching clients? Yeah, honestly, I stand by the three to six months of living expenses um, just because my husband and I actually did that, gosh, over a year and a half, probably almost two years ago now, we were able to finally complete our emergency fund. And, and I tell you, the amount of peace that you get knowing that if we were to both lose our jobs for whatever reason, we have this really great savings amount set aside to absorb any of the risk that comes, you know, with just living life. So that has really given us a peace of mind, but I think it's important to really kind of gauge what is your lifestyle. So if you're a contract worker, so if you have some sort of freelance job and you know that the contracts that you're getting come and go, there's kind of a feast or famine flow of your income. It's not like the steady paycheck then perhaps add more. Six months might not be enough for you to feel that peace of mind. Some people I know will have up to a year's worth of living expenses. Again, and let's say you're someone like a, like a doctor and you know that your income is probably pretty steady. The chances of you losing your job are, are quite slim. So perhaps for you having six months is sufficient. So it really depends kind of on your lifestyle, on your job, and really the kind of peace of mind that you want to have when it comes to your personal finances. So for me personally, I think three to six months is, is decent for most people. But if you really, really want to be a little bit safer, I think maybe aim for one year's worth of emergency fund. Definitely. And one thing I just want to tell our listeners is don't get intimidated when you hear that amount. Mm-hmm. Just basically start saving whatever you can. If you don't have an emergency fund today, start putting aside $25 a month or $50 a month and start building up that emergency fund. And before you know it, you'll have three and then six months living expenses at that point in time. So just because you don't have that big of an emergency fund, don't fret over it. Just kind of put a savings plan in place. And before you know it, you'll reach it. Yeah. Even if you wanted to really just aim for like a nice round number, like 10,000, You know what I mean? Like that might not necessarily be three to six months for you, but I think for the average household, 10,000 is a decent amount of money to save in case something happens, right? So again, just really have a set amount in mind and then trickle into it, right? You, You don't have to save it all at once. You don't have to be so aggressive when you're saving it. But like you said, Sean, I think whatever you can kind of start with, as long as you commit yourself to putting that savings as somewhat of a priority in order to move forward. Because I think, for example, if you were to go and buy a house and you have no cash as a savings account and you have no liquidity to absorb any issues that might come up, which they often do, 
you're really going, you're running the risk of a plethora of issues kind of face hitting you all at once. And as you know, homeownership comes with all its surprises. So you definitely want to be prepared for something like that. So having an emergency fund, however big or small, is very important. Yes, and also it helps to have a flexible mortgage too because, for example, if you were to get a 30-year amortization and when the times were good, let's say you worked in the oil field in Alberta and you were earning a great income, you could put extra money towards your mortgage, but let's say you got laid off and you didn't have that extra money, then if you were with a flexible lender, you could kind of put your mortgage payments to a minimum. So definitely speak with your mortgage broker and if you're kind of in a bit of a precarious job situation, definitely try to find a mortgage that's more flexible and is, is a, where you're able to kind of scale back your payments if you are to run into a bit of a tight cash flow situation because you know it's great to be able to double up your payments when times are good, but you definitely want to be able to scale it back when you're not actually bringing in a paycheck. Yeah, that's a great feature to have on hand for your mortgage. Great, so speaking of mortgages, Octavia, how can new homeowners make sure that they are prioritizing their mortgage payments and not giving into lifestyle inflation? Yeah, lifestyle inflation, again, is another one of those really tricky things that just seems to come with the territory. So, you know, that wise old saying of mo money, mo problems. <laughs> so I think similar, something similar happens when you buy a home. So yeah, absolutely. I think one of the ways that you can avoid lifestyle inflation, which for your listeners is really just like we said, as your income grows or as you move up and upgrade your, your living situation or your driving situation or even your clothing situation, things can start to creep out slowly and start to add up. So that means that now if you have a bigger home, suddenly you have more rooms to furnish and suddenly you want to buy all new furniture and redecorate and all that stuff. So one of the best ways I think to keep in mind, no matter what the situation is, is grow at the pace of cash. So that means if you just bought a new home and you love it and you really want to furnish it with the beautiful decor, do not go into debt to do so. That means don't grab a credit card from Leon's or Home Depot. Don't take these, these crazy payment plans where you don't pay for 10 years or something like that. Buy everything in cash within your budget that's reasonable for your income. So that might mean that you're expanding a little bit slower, that you're furnishing different rooms slowly. And that way you're not getting yourself into a deeper hole and you're going to be able to actually make those mortgage payments on time and even perhaps even prepay maybe an additional lump sum within the year as well. So you definitely want to avoid going into debt to have kind of the inflated lifestyle. The other thing I would say is prioritize your mortgage by perhaps having those automatic withdrawals, like you mentioned earlier, is just really setting that as a priority within your finances. So you're not paying into it after all the other things in your life, but you're putting your mortgage kind of as the priority in your finances. And lastly, I would say is make those payments as you're able to like increase payments, right? So if you can make that a larger lump sum, perhaps at Christmas time, you get a bonus at work, throw that towards your mortgage. Or let's say you can, your, your mortgage contract allows you to increase your monthly payment over time. 
take advantage of those opportunities. I know they probably don't sound like opportunities, but in the long run, as you know, Sean, if you can reduce that amount of time, you're saving on interest and you're making headway towards paying off your home sooner, which is often, you know, which is amazing. So, uh, so yeah, those are three kind of key things I would consider. Don't go into debt, make extra payments as possible into your mortgage and perhaps set up those automatic withdrawals so that you're making it a priority. Wow, it sounds like you perhaps read my book. <laughs> I have read your book, Sean. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and also one more tip, set yourself a mortgage burning date and that way you'll get excited about yes. paying off your mortgage one day and my offer still open. If somebody tells me that they have a mortgage burning party and send me an invite, I'll be happy to bring them a bottle of champagne. So I haven't had anyone take me up on that offer. So <laughs> hoping that somebody takes me up on it one day. You know what? I'm sure you've got like a ton of people that are just slow. Like they're going to, they're coming up. You know what I mean? It takes a while to pay off a mortgage, but I bet you're going to get all these mortgage burning parties all at once, perhaps in a few years from now. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> So although credit cards are a good way to build your credit score, some people find it tough to handle credit cards responsibly. Mm -hmm. Talk about the benefits of using your debit card over your credit card for certain purchases. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of debit cards. The great thing about them now is that with technology advancing the way it is, you know, you can really use them to do online purchases and the versatility has definitely expanded beyond what they used to be even 10 years ago. So I'm a huge fan. I think the, the benefit is, yeah, it really forces you to, to cash flow everything. The money that is in your checking account is what's being used to make those purchases, whether that's on Amazon or whether that's at your you know, local coffee shop. So that is a great way to force you to stay on budget because you're not going into debt to make that next purchase. You're really having to crunch the numbers and make sure that you've planned ahead of time for it. So that's a huge benefit for anyone that's looking to just get a little bit more disciplined with their personal finances or they're saving towards their down payment or they're saving towards a vacation or something special in their life. If you really want to stay on track and on budget, I would highly recommend rather than using your credit card, start using your debit card and that will make such a difference in keeping you focused. Personally, I use my debit card to book flights online. I use it to shop, shop online. I use it to buy coffee and whatever else other purchases that I'm making. And uh, it really is great for, like I said, keeping me um, on budget and avoiding debt in the long run. Yeah, definitely. Because in the cashless society that we're moving toward, I don't know about you, but when I spend actual physical money as opposed to swiping my credit card, with swiping my credit card, I can easily spend $100 and I don't feel any pain at all. But exactly. when I actually hand over five $20 bills, I certainly feel a lot more pain then. So I don't like that pain. So then... I might pay with my credit card instead so that I don't suffer the pain, but certainly I'm still spending the same amount of money at the end of the day. So I think a lot of us fall into that trap and then mobile payments are making it even worse because think about it, like you can pretty much get the Starbucks or Tim Hortons or McDonald's app on your phone and just kind of get in a daily habit of stopping by once or twice and making these purchases conveniently on your phone. And then at the end of the month, you realize that you spent like, hundred dollars a month in Starbucks. So it mm -hmm. certainly can add it up. I mean, I think these stores definitely are doing it from a convenience standpoint to make it easier for you. But 
the bad part about it for yourself is that then you can spend a whole heck of a lot of more money than you thought you were going to spend at the end of the day. And then you'll look at your credit card statement and be like, holy cow, I spent a hundred dollars at Starbucks. How did that mm-hmm. happen? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why having that spending plan also known as a budget ahead of time is really key because then even though you are using your debit card or mobile payments, you can then go online on your account and see that, okay, you know, this is kind of my limit. And that, and that obviously comes with discipline. It comes with time. It's definitely uh, a muscle you have to exercise and, you know, you're not going to be great at it at first, but I think the more you create your budget month by month or even week by week, for example, you start to get an idea of how often you can go to the coffee shop and how often perhaps maybe you'll start to gauge that I think I've been going too many times this week. You know what I mean? It kind of starts to slowly become second nature. Like I said, the debit card is great for that because once that money's gone, it's gone. You know what I mean? Versus with a credit card, you kind of, it feels like there's this endless limit, you know, it's like, it feels unlimited basically is what I'm trying to say. But you're right. Absolutely. Like there's studies that say using a credit card as opposed to cash, you end up spending 18% more using a credit card than you would the other way. So definitely if you're struggling to stay on budget, either A, use a debit card or B, go old fashioned and use straight up cash and you'll definitely be on track that way. Definitely. But I guess just to let our listeners know, it's important to build up a credit score as well. Use your credit card responsibly, use all the benefits of the credit card and stay away from the disadvantages like the 18 or 19% interest rate. Yeah. Drink responsibly, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And On that note, I'd just like to say it's been great having you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, John, for for having me. I'm excited to kind of share what Paper and Coin, my company, has been doing. So like you said, we do money coaching, personal financial coaching, specifically for millennials. So that's usually one-on-one personal coaching. So you get that tailored experience and really customized advice based on your goals and your situation. But this fall, we're actually going to be launching group coaching sessions. So if you're in the greater Toronto area, specifically in downtown Toronto, you can actually sign up for one of these group coaching sessions where we actually walk you through the process that we do with individual clients. And that way it's a little bit more affordable for people and you still get that coaching experience. It might not be one-on-one, but you're in a small group setting and you can ask it whatever questions you like. So we're really excited to be launching our group coaching sessions this fall And we know that it's going to be really impactful for for people who are going to be participating. So if anyone's interested in signing up for those or checking out any of our other services, you can go to paperandcoin.ca or you can check us out online on social media. All of our handles are the words paper and coin. Great. That's nice and easy. And I'll be sure to include links in the show notes. Octavia, thanks so much for being on the show today. It was great to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, 
feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email at seancooperwriter at gmail.com or you can call or text me at 647-867-3711. Also, be sure to head on over to www.seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.